Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nat Kringudis, which I've just nailed the last name, which I was very <laughs> unsure of whether I would do. Um, so Nat's a women's health expert. Um, I'm really excited to chat today specifically around the, the hormone side of things and stress and response to stress. You're also a published author, podcaster. Um, you, do it, you do it all. So I think today's, uh, today's I conversation... All the fun things. Yeah, fun all the fun things. things. Good. <laughs> I think today's conversation is going to be a, a really exciting one. So w- what I might do to, to get us started, Nat, is... Are you able to just give a, a very brief explanation to the listeners about a bit a bit around your kind of field of work and, and what exactly a women's health expert sure, means? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I started in this space 17, 18 years ago and it was very different then. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, uh, it was very underground. The complementary me- medicine or alternative health world mm-hmm. was very underground. Um, yeah. And the reality was, though, women were coming to me in clinic with, questions about their symptoms Mm -hmm. and no one had explanations for them and the short story of that is I think modern medicine hadn't caught up to how much our modern lifestyle was impacting our hormones as women Mm -hmm. and so we were seeing all sorts of issues which I think we consider to be part and parcel of being a woman period pain PMS ovulation pain um, acne headaches mood swings all of those things but why were they happening? You can't just go, oh, it's your hormones, because yeah. what does that even mean? That's not yeah. an explanation. Very broad. And so truly the reason that we were we grew very quickly was actually around fertility. We started helping women have babies where there was unexplained infertility. They weren't mm-hmm. getting answers. And that news spread pretty quickly around Melbourne. And so all of a sudden we went from being this one-man band to needing an entire team, and that in itself is logistically a nightmare. Scaled super quickly, yeah. Right, because we didn't have the scaffolding around that. I didn't have that. Um, And we started to just answer women's questions, and I didn't know at the time. I got curious. I started to research things. These weren't answers that I'd learnt at university. I studied um, health sciences, Chinese medicine, acupuncture over 10 and a half years full time. So I'd done my study, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't, I was very qualified, yet this was a gap that no one was still talking about. So Mm -hmm. I needed to go and find answers and ask for permission to practice on patients. I was literally like, I don't know, let's let's work it out together. Um, And so when you're answering people's questions that no one else was, of course, news spreads and Melbourne's mm. big but small, small um, yeah. and we were able to ride the wave I, I like to say because we were just I don't think it's right place right time necessarily I think it's actually just being able to think one step ahead mm-hmm. um, which led to books and podcasts and shows and all of those things and really put us on the map which I'm so grateful and feel really privileged to be able to continue to help women yeah. where they're not necessarily getting answers and fill the gaps because it's not anyone's necessarily it's not anyone's or any health modality's fault it's that we can come together and actually make women's health better yeah I love that I often think about this not in the women's health side of things but more so from I guess the area that I spend a lot of my time in is that how much quicker the whole industry can accelerate if we kind of join and work together instead of constantly being or feeling people feeling like they're in competition with one another specifically in the same industry which is crazy to think it's just like there's this people have this mindset of like a a lack of abundance or a lack of success it's crazy and it's very australian and it's very un-australian but it's australian unfortunately when you Mm -hmm. have time to go outside of Australia and see how other countries and 
and how progressive they are and how integrative they are. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to Australia and I'm like, wow, we've got a lot to learn. We Australians do. are by nature inclusive, but for some reason when it comes to a couple of areas, it, it's very cloak and dagger and it doesn't need to be. We can have, I call it our cheer squad, we should have a lineup of people, health professionals, support people, whoever that might be, working together on the sideline, like cheering you on. Mm. Whether they agree with it or not, so long as it's not dangerous, exactly. Um, then why wouldn't we want that? But it is. It's this very um, us and them. We don't like seeing people succeed for some reason. Um, I think it's getting better. Yeah. But it, it is still, it's still out there and that's something that I think we need to work together. And the more we can come together and the more examples there are of that, then I think that's attractive. People are going to be attracted to that. I agree. Uh- I posted something on social media the other day along the lines of kind of what you just touched on, how, you know, I've seen this float around a little bit on social media as well, but it's like we spent, so many people are like very quick to praise and cheer for celebrities or people that we've never met in our whole entire life and probably never will. But then when the people closest to us do well or are struggling or whatever it is, it's like, fuck. Stay away from it completely. It's very bizarre. It's 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 very very bizarre bizarre behaviour. So I think the lesson is really how can – you don't want to be part of that. Like we can choose to actually tap Mm -hmm. out of that and want better for ourselves. And I think that's actually what I did see for a lot of women. They do want better for themselves. But where do they get these solutions? And Mm. that's the part that we have to bridge the gap with. Just quickly on the fertility side of things, you mentioned like people were almost – had a bottleneck because they weren't sure like what was actually causing it or what what were the outside factors were that were that were kind of playing this role. So what I guess this might be a pretty open ended question, but like what are typically some of the the main things that or the common recurrences as to to what causes kind of issues with that? I think in writing my previous book, it was for fertility, and mm-hmm. what I realised was that we weren't fixing it at the time that it was broken we were band-aid solution yep. you know focused about symptoms not actually treating the root cause of things mm-hmm. and as a result if we had have actually educated and understood things when these women were teenagers then we wouldn't be dealing with infertility or fertility issues in their 30s and some 40s and some will blame that on oh well we're having children later yes okay but that doesn't mean you can't have children later so there was yep. there's there's a gap there as well there was something else that was missing so Really, again, it comes back to modern lifestyle. It's not that we can't have our cake and eat it too. We Mm -hmm. can. We just need to learn how to prioritise things. But women have been conditioned, I feel. Well, women, we're living like we're tiny men and we're not. At the end of the day, women are not men. And yet we are trying to slot in as if we are. And if we can actually tap into the ebbs and flows of our own feminine energy... We get to tap into something else, another unit, parallel universe that actually works in our favour. So I think. Just quickly, answer, wait, sorry, sorry to cut yeah. you off. When you say women are living like what was it, small little tiny men, men. tiny men, yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean by that? Just to, just so I can get well, a better understanding. Well, women are cyclic, right? So we, if we are cycling naturally, we have a twenty eight day menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. and that means that we are hormonally different every single day of that cycle. So what we wanted yesterday and what we need tomorrow could be worlds apart depending on where you you are in your cycle. So to think that, you know, over each day of the cycle, hormones build and then they come back down again or they might do that in the opposite order. Um, Men don't have that. Men have Mm -hmm. a 24-hour circadian rhythm that they they work with. Yes, okay, they are, uh, you know, influenced via the environment, which would be a lunar cycle and that can definitely influence how we feel. I think Mm -hmm. anyone can, um, you know, talk to the fact that, 
around the full moon we can all feel a bit crazy. Um, Whereas so women can feel like that at other times of the cycle based on where they are. Men don't have that challenge. They literally have a 24-hour cycle. They, They, you know, basically eat, sleep, work, repeat mm-hmm. um whereas, so it's more steady correct yeah. it is more steady and it can be influenced like i said by other things yep. whereas for women we have hormones to consider that are on any given day at any given place and so if we understand this we can work it to our advantage and respond better to it correct. i guess yeah. so i know for example if i don't actually take time out and go gently for a few days of my cycle typically when i have my period and i'm menstruating mm-hmm. then i I can actually it, that can actually either do um, terrible things for my cycle, or if I actually stop, rest, recover, recuperate, set myself up mm-hmm. for the best month ever. Knowing that, but also I know that if I can time things around ovulation, I get a testosterone boost. My estrogen is at its highest. My yep. progesterone's about to kick in. I should feel pretty damn good at yeah. that point in time. Yeah. So knowing. This, I can plan around okay, yeah. that. Now, it doesn't mean I can't do anything, those mm-hmm. other things on other days. Yeah. But if I know this about myself. You just myself, know the optimal timing correct. of it, yeah. So, say I needed to bring it today, but I'm, you know, first couple of days of my menstrual cycle, the smartest thing to do if I want to perform is to not have anything else that I have to do on that day. Okay. Knowing that I really should be taking it more gently. Yeah. Whereas if I was at that peak fertile phase of my cycle, ovulation, yes. I could probably do seven podcasts and right. I would nail every single one of them. Okay. I'm a different different right. phase of my cycle. So, so just understanding how your body responds right. and so at times. Yeah. Correct. And men don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Not as much. <laughs> I yeah. think what you need to worry about is have you, you know, have you eaten well? Have you yeah. slept well? Have Hydration you had, and correct, stuff. Correct. Yeah. What are you doing for recovery if you are, mm-hmm. you know, um, if, if you are committed to training? All of those things definitely play a part in how you feel. Yeah. Um, but generally, women and men are worlds apart when it comes to yes. that. So when I'm talking about women being <laughs> tiny men, that's what I'm referring to. And if we can live according to that, um, we we can really tap into something that's pretty special. 100%. That's super interesting. With the – just changing direction a little bit. With the stress side of things, um, you know, I had a podcast this morning and the, the whole episode was based around this and the physiological response to it, but – from a hormonal standpoint, particularly in females, I guess what are the what are the things that maybe some of the girls are listening at the moment maybe not aware of but how detrimental stress and high cortisol levels and especially from outside factors like what it's actually doing to their mm. body and even their mind. I mean, particularly with with moods and and whatnot as well. Yeah, totally. Like circling back to what we spoke about when I, you know when we first started talking. Stress is the modern epidemic, I think, when it comes to what's impacting our fertility, what's Mm -hmm. impacting our hormones, our ability to actually have balanced hormones. Um, So, you know, stress isn't something that we compartmentalise everything into, and so does your body, into stress. But stress is how well your liver's functioning, how well is your gut detoxifying or metabolising your hormones, I should say, liver, how well is your liver detoxifying your hormones, Um, what is your thyroid doing, Mm -hmm. Uh, have you moved your bowels today, what's the environment like that you're in, are you exposing yourself to chemicals, Um, do you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, man, you look like crap, like truly. So that's just stress coming at you 24-7. 
your body doesn't know, oh, that's emotional stress, oh, that's physical stress, oh, that's environmental stress. It just knows stress. And then there's many things within our environment that mimic uh, hormones which the body sees as stressful as well. So chemicals, um, toxins, uh, certain foods mimic estrogen. Um, Most of these things actually typically mimic estrogen. And when when that happens and stress is involved, it just sends estrogen through the roof. Right. When estrogen's through the roof... Progesterone just doesn't get to do its job properly. So there's this flow-on effect. We see high estrogen, which causes weight gain, anxiety, Mm -hmm. missing periods, delayed ovulation, infertility. Um, And progesterone is a calming hormone. It helps you sleep. It's good for your bones. It makes your eyes nice and bright when you wake up in the morning. Like You feel good when you have enough of it. Now, because of the nature of hormone balance, when you've got too much estrogen, typically you don't have enough progesterone, you feel pretty terrible. Yes. So the trick when it comes to hormone balance is always working out why. So when we look at cortisol, cortisol, cortisol is designed to save us. Yeah. It comes along and it says, all right, everybody, flight, yeah. correct, everybody else, I'm here now. You don't need to reproduce right now. Mm-hmm. I'm here to save you because it sounds like you're in danger. Yeah. Now, the problem is... That's fine in an instance of a, a trauma or a danger and you need it. But we just practice it 24-7 yeah. on some level, even if it's idling, which means to get to our peak, it's not very far. We don't have to do okay. much to get to our top threshold, mm-hmm. which, again, it's just a coping mechanism. But what I will say, whether we like it or not as women, every single day of our menstruating lives, our body is setting us up to be pregnant under the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. So even in the instance of it not working properly, it's still smart enough to go, oh, no, pregnancy's not good right now. It's still looking after you. It's still setting you up to fall pregnant, whether we like it or not. So I think just knowing that is very interesting because we fight against that for so long when it comes to fertility and, and stress and you answering me answering that question. We fight that so much, yet actually... So often what we need to do is get aware of how often are we in fight or flight? Like truly how yep. often are we there? Because we can't do anything about it if it's we're not conscious about yeah. it. But yep. we, we keep on choosing it because it becomes this habit that we're so used to that we don't know how to get out of it. Out so of it. I think just recognising, you know, I ask women all the time, let's talk about your stress levels. And can I tell you the number one thing they say to me every time without fail, oh, but I cope fine with it. That's not what we're asking. Yeah. We're not asking, are you coping with stress? How stressed are you is not the question. Not just accepting the fact that Co- you're constantly correct, stressed. Correct. Yeah. So what it means is you can't always remove, if we've got a big trauma we're dealing with, we might have some bad health news or yep. something's happening within the family, you can't remove that and that's okay, that's living. Yeah. But are you choosing stress to get dead, to meet deadlines, to pick the kids up from school with poor food choices because you haven't had time to prepare. Like mm-hmm. how can you break the cycle, yeah. become aware, break the cycle, and it might just be one different thing yeah, one to start tweak. to break that and yeah. then we're back on again. So we have to get conscious around it. We're very good at operating on autopilot and our bodies allow us to do that to a certain degree until it doesn't work anymore. Something I was intrigued about is – you mentioned how we spend a lot of our time with high cortisol levels when they when they shouldn't be. Well, ideally, they, they wouldn't be. Is the stress response, so say when we actually do are in that fight or flight and we actually do need the spike in cortisol, spending so much time with high cortisol levels, does that, does that actually reduce the effectiveness of the spike in cortisol when we actually need it? Yes, and it also res- reduces <laughs> all hormones as well. Right. So, you know, like I said, it's super bossy. It comes along. 
and it's like, hey, everyone, I'm here. I'm here to fix it. You can it. all leave. Right? You can all go. Yeah. You know, think about the nature of cortisol. It, it basically pumps blood to your muscles. It takes everything away from your in, your, in, your sort of internal, your organs. So mm-hmm. that means let's take your digestion offline. Let's take your liver right. offline. Let's definitely take your sex hormones offline and your reproductive organs offline because you do not need them right now. Yeah. So the nature of that is, um, you know, everything gets shut down. But eventually cortisol won't even be able to do that anymore because eventually you'll tip your adrenals over and nothing will work. And this is at that point of complete exhaustion. And some will argue, is adrenal fatigue a real thing or not? Or is it a real diagnosis? It's simply the point where you've got nothing left in the tank. That's where you're at. You've overdone it. There's phases to get to that. And most people think they're in that phase and they're not. You know it when you are because you literally can't do anything. Right. Um, There's nothing left. You don't want to be there. (laughs) I guarantee you don't want to be there. A couple of things out of that, there's a few things I want to touch on. So firstly, how how are, not just females but males as well, how are we able to pick up on that before it does get to the point where we are, are, to the point where there's nothing left in the tank? Like what are some of the signs that we can look for Early, it's so really we can avoid question. that. I think for when we bring it back to hormones and what can we look for, first thing you'll generally see is missing periods for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with that then comes a flow-on effect of other symptoms, which is going to vary for the individual. Okay. So some women, if their hormones are taken offline, um, especially, you know, they, they start – they essentially, let's think about it fundamentally, your gut stops doing a proper job. If you can't assimilate nutrients, you can't go on to make hormones. That's yep. you know the crux of the scenario. Um, but you'll some women will see with that um, missing periods or delayed periods, really heavy periods because estrogen keeps building and okay. more, more estrogen, right. more lining, more bleeding. So heavy bleeding. Um, you can see weight gain. You can see anxiety. A yep. lot of PMS symptoms or PMDD. So really severe PMS before the period are generally the most common signs. For men, again, simple simple creatures. Um, <laughs> you typ- typically you'll see um, depression and anxiety. The main things yeah. that you'll see um, when we see that long term in um, the lead up to it, or, or as an end result. No, in, no, as a warning sign. Yeah. You were asking about symptoms. I yeah. think yeah. yeah so yeah. as warning signs, I would. See symptoms as warning signs. That's High what symptoms are. High anxiety levels and stuff, yeah. High anxiety or depression, but also feeling, yeah, yeah, very low, like reclusive, doesn't want to be social. Yeah. Um, often you can see weight gain. You can often see, especially when it's tipping into estrogen for men, which is quite common, um, you know, weight gain that they will even start to develop breasts like because yep. there's too much estrogen and we don't need mm-hmm. it um, and our body's not clearing it properly because – Remember, our digestive system isn't working isn't either. Working properly, so we're yeah. not getting the, that whole response happening. Um, but symptoms are loud and clear and they're your best clues. Now, I've just talked about the most common scenario, but for some women that can see other conditions turned on like PCOS or endometriosis or right. other challenges with our reproductive health where stress actually can turn on certain functions that we don't ordinarily see happening. Right. Most things are in response to stress. Even we're seeing right now, you know, we're seeing uh, a much higher incidence of a whole lot of autoimmune conditions on the back of COVID. It's actually for some people triggered a stress response in their body, which is seeing things like acne or their periods are missing or they're bleeding for a long time. Um, It's all just a response to a stressor. External stress. What? What? Um. Okay. Here's a question for you. Go on. 
as a male, so say as, as a, if your partner, say as a male, if my partner um, is going through their cycle, whatever, and, and as you've just kind of gone through, there is so many like ebbs and flows and, and all the rest of it. Like what can we do to help? I love this. First of all, I think the main thing is to start to track the cycle like, and be on board together. It doesn't need to be this like, you know, event every day, but if there is some type <laughs> of awareness of where we are in the cycle, I think that really helps. Knowing that your partner is going to have, um, you know, is going to feel her best generally in the middle two weeks of her cycle, that's when she's going to have a higher libido, she's going to want to be more social, she's going to be able to perform, she's going to be able to exercise better, like everything is just designed to be better. Mm. Wait, remember, we're setting up to fall pregnant, right, in any yeah. given moment, whether we want to or not. So leading into that phase, that peak fertile phase, that's where we want to go out and meet the world. We want to be our most creative. We should be executing the tasks. We get things done. We're very, right. very productive. So knowing that, mm-hmm. I think, is great. Also, you know, a, a premenstrual woman, she knows she's premenstrual. She doesn't want to hear it from anybody else. It's like when my husband might say to me, um... So are you about due for your period? And I'll be like, and I want to punch you in the face because thank you, I don't need you to tell me as well. We know that this is happening. So I think just being able to, if we understand this, we can be accepting of it. It's not an excuse for us to be awful, um, but it is sometimes uh, just a way we we feel like we just want to recluse. We just want to chill out. We don't really want to do much. It's the day we might sit on the couch. And everyone is different. Different, This is the other thing. You know, I teach women how to to map out their cycle and understand this. And then I'm a bad example. Someone will see me on my socials lifting something really heavy on day one of my period and I'll be like, that's the day I actually feel good. But I know in the lead up to it, I don't. So that's typically for me how I know I feel that's after watching my cycle for many, many, many years. I know how I typically feel. So it's going to be slightly different for everyone. But at least know as a guide, there are days you're going to feel better based on what your hormones are doing. Right. How... How are females able to, and I'm assuming guys can use these techniques and tools as well, maybe not all of them, but how can females deal on the spot with highly stressful things? Like what are some Mm. tools that you like to implement that can reduce those cortisol levels when they shouldn't be high? I think the first thing that we need to do is become conscious. Like I said, we need to actually be aware when we're in fight or flight. We're on autopilot. We don't realise we're yeah. there. And so I say to patients, here's the one thing I want you to do. When you leave here, I want you to actually be conscious, if you can. So now I'm making you aware, right, first and foremost. So now you are aware. So now you think to do this as well. Am I overwhelmed right now? Like actually am I overwhelmed and does it warrant me being overwhelmed? Like yeah. A, is anyone, you know, terminally ill? Is someone going to be harmed in this moment? No. Okay. I think we're all right. Let's just take a step back. Yeah. And just analysing, does this actually warrant the amount of stress I'm giving this right now? Just being aware is the first thing. You cannot do anything about it if you don't have the awareness to begin with. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to create pockets in your day where I'm taking you out of fight or flight and into rest and digest. So the more we can do that, the better we become at making it a habit to not exist in fight or flight, right? Right. So that's the first thing I say to patients. Can you get conscious? And the second thing is ask yourself, you know, does it really matter? Like, do I need to do this right now? And is it in your control? I was was late to this recording today. Does it really matter? Probably not. We'll find a way around it. Yeah, yeah. But we can can get so in the spiral – 
that if I didn't have the awareness today, just take a breath. Otherwise, yeah. you're not even going to be able to talk and have this conversation yeah. right now. It's fine. Like, yeah. let's sort it out. And and more of that, I think, is, is really important. But like I said, stress is the modern day issue and it, it really is impacting hormones on every level. So if we don't start with stress... We can take all the supplements on the planet. We can get our nutrition dialed in. We can sleep well. I think people generally accept this. This is something we have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the elephant in the room is always stress and emotional trauma, really, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. I'm having to deal with. Um, and having helping women and men, but women believe that they can do it. That's the other thing. Everybody's yeah. just conditioned to now, oh, no, can't do that. The other one thing I'd say that's really simple to get us out of fight or flight, and I get people to do it before they eat, is just five deep breaths. Right. Five diaphragmic breaths. Let's yep. take you out of fight or flight. Let's get you mm-hmm. into rest and digest. You cannot rest and digest up here anyway when we're yeah. in fight or flight. So if – and look, you know – Doing it before eating, yeah, okay, that's getting you ready to eat. But if I get people to do it before eating, it means I know that they've at least hit that a couple of times a day. Yeah. So it's also about just making it happen more yeah. than so much making the actual timing yeah. of it um, just to get them to do that. And that's that's two really simple things that you can actually do to break the cycle. 100%. With the breathing side of things, is there anything specific, like a certain time for inhale and exhale or I, is it just kind of just deep breaths? I try and keep things pretty simple for patients. There, are, Here's the thing. There are so many things you can do. There yeah. are so many things you can do. But when you're in overwhelm, you don't want to hear about the detail, <laughs> yeah. right? You don't. You're just like, okay, breathe. Great. I'm going with that. So I, I tend to go, okay, if you're going to take five deep diaphragmic breaths and so make sure they're from your diaphragm, breathe in for five and out for five. Let's keep mm-hmm. this really simple. You're going to do five of them. You're going to breathe in for five. Yep. You're going to breathe out for five. And then you're going to check in with yourself. And am I ready to sit here and eat or do I need to do that one more time? Okay, um, you cool. can do it anywhere. You can do it at the traffic lights. Yeah. You can do it on the toilet seat. You know, you can do it absolutely anywhere. But I think that's a very simple thing. I think we think, so, okay, I'm stressed and everyone's telling me I need to calm down and I probably need to meditate, but that's the last thing I want to do right now, even though I need to. So let's just start with what we can do. Yes, yeah, you know? yeah. So it sounds like self-awareness seems to be like a key key factor here. Absolutely. Self-awareness is a key factor. Like I said, there's other things that I think we can get dialed in on. I think where women often get it wrong as well is they go harder when they're stressed, when they actually need to pull it back. Almost try and suppress it and just work Correct. through it. So, yeah. you know, we do. We, we go harder. I, I see women all the time, especially when hormones start to spiral and we see things like weight gain or yep. period changes or we tend to go even harder mm-hmm. than what we were and actually less is more in these instances yep. always. Working with um, clients for so many years now, particularly my online clientele who um, you know, I'm not seeing every single week and, and the measurements and stuff that we work through, they vary depending on the person. But um, I'll, I'll use a very typical example of, let's say, someone who's tracking their average weight. Mm-hmm. For all the females that are listening out there, are you able to give us some numbers or some ideas on how much their weight can fluctuate um, above their their typical maintenance when they are um, having their cycle. Yes, so your weight is going to definitely fluctuate with your cycle. Mm. And what you need to probably recognise is it's probably not weight, it's probably fluid. Fluid, yeah. Um, And we are more likely to have fluid retention when we're in the later phase of our cycle, when progesterone is supposed to be climbing and when we don't have enough of it, Progesterone's a natural diuretic. Like I said, it's right. naturally calming and it's a natural diuretic. So this is where we can see up to – women report up to five kilos changes 
I was going to say the cycle. Uh, now, I wouldn't say that's most women. I would say probably two, two to three kilos fluctuation mm, is. I see a typical, yeah, roughly three. Uh, between two to three for me is usually like where I'm seeing a bit of a pattern. Right. Yeah. So knowing that it's nothing to worry about, mm. but it's a good clue for you to say, okay, Nat's saying my progesterone maybe isn't where it needs to be. What do I need to do to get it where it needs to be? Now, our Western brain goes, oh, we just give you some. Like, let's just give you progesterone, right? That'll fix that. Yeah. No, it won't because you need to work out why progesterone isn't happy and it's typically unhappy for three reasons. Well, two reasons. Let's look at hormones. It, let's keep it really simple. Estrogen, high estrogen can equal, equal low progesterone just by the nature of balance, right? When you've got one that's too high, there's not enough space for the other one to actually get its okay. job done properly. So that can be one way of knowing. How do you know? Remember, more estrogen, more lining, more bleeding. So these women typically have heavy periods as the first key thing I'd look at, at to spark curiosity for women. Okay. But you can also have low progesterone as a result of low estrogen. So not enough estrogen to build, equally not enough progesterone at, at the end of that line. Right. How do you know? low estrogen, low lining, low bleeding. So less estrogen, less right. lining, less bleeding. So you can look at your period and go, okay, do I experiencing, am I experiencing heavy periods and, I'm, and we're talking about weight gain and, and fluid retention and fluid retention, okay, I'm probably estrogen dominant. Or you can say, okay, well, I am experiencing um, puffiness and swelling but my periods are light, well, then we'd look at low estrogen right. based on what your symptoms are telling us. Yep. Now, you can, yes, you can test for this, but you don't need to. Don't your need symptoms to, yeah. can tell you exactly what you need to do. Typically, the high cortisol, um, high estrogen patient needs to actually sort out the high estrogen and high cortisol, and the low estrogen patient typically needs to sort out, it's usually a nutrient deficiency or post-medication, um, things that have actually okay. robbed the body so that the backbones aren't actually there to make the hormones there. in the first first place yeah so they're two really easy ways of looking at what do i need to do to sort out my estrogen so that my progesterone is actually naturally better or a bit of a balancing act right. so you can go and supplement progesterone but can i tell you because the estrogen isn't fixed you'll still have some of those gnarly like symptoms it's just a band-aid yeah right. so we, it's always good to ask why like why is my progesterone yeah. low okay it's low at the end of that but sorry at the start of that chain it's actually what are my other hormones doing mm -hmm. um and that's a game changer because yeah. that's actually sustain that's how you find a solution that's sustainable yeah next on the list that i wanted to talk about a couple more things here because I want to be mindful every time. Yeah, good. No, um, from a food perspective, I'm always intrigued to to speak to my guests around their, I guess, an approach their approach to nutrition. Um, from a nutrition perspective, what are some of the things that that you see uh, most often that people either are or aren't doing with their food that are causing issues? I love this question and it's huge. But let's first thing I want to say is we need to learn what's best for us as women dependent on our age and phase of where we are. So what we did in our 20s and 30s as we approach our 40s no longer works. And mm -hmm. I think that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of women because we get into our 40s and we're like, oh, we used to just go to the gym and really be focused for one month and then we'd feel better. And yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. In fact, we're playing catch up. So I'm really encouraging women as they approach their 30s and 40s to start to think about what you're actually doing is 
something that needs to be consistent for maintenance because it's really hard to get back there as we get older. And I don't think anyone talks about that. You know, we often have babies. We'd say in inverted commas, we let ourselves go. Um, And so maintaining that is very important. I think also for a lot of us, we've had a sedentary scenario for a couple of years and that's not done justice to many of us. Mm. Um, And so that's really made it apparent to me that women need to be able to eat according to their age and phase. Right. So what I would say to that is that, you know, definitely in our 20s and 30s, there needs to be a good good balance of um, protein, fat and carb, carbohydrate. As we get older, fat and, and protein becomes so much more important um, for muscle mass, for bone health for, for and, and for our hormones. The, the yep. research tells us that fundamentally our hormones are made of fat and protein. So if we're not eating mm-hmm. fat and protein as a starting point, then we're not consuming the absolute basics to go on and make yeah. hormones. So that yep. often can be a scenario that I see with um, younger women, not so much now, but when I first started was when, you know, we were still – Old school fat makes you fat. So yeah. women were on low fat diets and mm-hmm. that just did nothing, nothing for the their hormones. hormones. Yeah. Um, and I think we've got a better understanding of this now. So I tend to say to women, you know, I don't want them to be too regimented when it comes to, again, because you're cyclic and what you need at the start of the cycle is different to what different, you need at the yeah. end of your cycle. Um, but I do want you to hit the fat and protein at every meal. I, I I generally get them to also dial their nutrition in around their movement and how they're moving for recovery, okay. especially again as we get older. Yep. It's not what becomes more important as we get older. I mean, you can't have recovery without the movement, right? So you need to ha- do that. But we, as we get older, we definitely need the rest days. We definitely need to recover. The magic's in the recovery. Yeah. It's not in the movement. Yep. And changing that for women in, and how their, their mind works is, is not easy. Less is more sometimes, yeah. Less is more. And that's the thing. Also for women with PCOS, so we see around 20% of women have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And again, one of the key symptoms with that is weight gain. So what do we do? We eat less, we exercise more. That is the worst thing someone yeah. with PCOS can it's accelerating do, right? It. Yeah, yeah. It's making it worse. So yeah. helping these women understand how to move for their bodies and how to eat for their bodies is very important. So they're the two things, again, I get them to hit the fat and protein and I get them to eat their starchy carbohydrate for recovery and that's really the only time they need it otherwise they end up adding to the insulin resistance that exists with PCOS and with a lot of other hormone issues mm. and and fueling the problem but it's about having the little bits of information to piece that together mm-hmm. the challenge is yep. different for everybody yeah um and and we're constantly having to retweak it which makes it difficult you yeah. know even for me personally i have to constantly retweak what that looks like because i'm at a phase where i've had my babies life is different and my hormones are changing and so how can I use that to my advantage and hack that? And like I said, it has to be about maintenance and consistency now. For me, yep. to, to get back there again is going to take a, a, you know, a long time if yep. I don't maintain that. Maintain. Mm. For a female who is, uh, let's say, getting a, getting a little bit older mm-hmm. um, or going through menopause, which I really don't know too much about, which is why we have someone like yourself in here. Um, what it like when, when someone, let's say someone is going through menopause, mm-hmm. which again, I don't know too much about, but um, what are some of the responses like hormonally and then physiologically going to be like in that period of time? So like I've had the question recently as to whether or not when someone's going through that, whether or not 
with their training, for example, like whether their energy levels are going to be a lot lower, whether their strength seems to be dropping, whether it's going to affect how much muscle tissue they retain, things along those lines. So from a physiological perspective, what are some of, I guess, the effects of that and how can that can be combated to to keep moving forward? So two things I want to talk to here because perimenopause (laughs) is the phase before menopause where a lot of women really struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, the reality of that is that kicks in at around 35 and a lot of women don't want to hear that. Um, it's not, it's, but it's not a problem. I had a patient come the other day and she said, I've been diagnosed with perimenopause. And I said, you can't be diagnosed with perimenopause. It's like being diagnosed with puberty. Like yeah. that doesn't happen. You don't be like, oh, oh, oh here you are. I've really got bad news yeah. for you today, son. You're going through puberty. Like, so perimenopause is the phase that is from around 35 until we stop menstruating then menopause is that phase where we've stopped menstruating um, and that's typically around a year and then we go into post-menopause. So there's that transition that happens over time. Now what's happening is your oestrogen is declining or should be declining naturally over that time until the point where we don't really need it anymore and you'll be fascinated to learn that what actually happens is that the ovaries pass their job onto the adrenals. Right which what they once did. But the problem is, if you can understand, coming back full circle again, mm-hmm. our high-stress lives don't allow our adrenals to go, oh, let me take that job off you now, you're done, or you're, you're finished, right. I'm here, you can go and pack up and yeah. Yeah, yeah. your job's done here now. Yeah. Um, if our adrenals are in constant overdrive, what we're finding is women aren't transitioning through menopause easily because their adrenals aren't able to take on that job. Really aren't able to cope right. with it, yeah. So another reason why we have to get our stress under control. And if you think about... A, a middle, I'd hate to use the word middle age, but a 50-year-old w- woman nowadays, and you think about even your grandmother at 50, my grandmother at 50 used to dedicate half a week to babysitting me and maybe she would work one or two days a week just because she wanted to mm-hmm. and she kind of cooked for the family and yeah. she was a, a pillar of strength in the family. But if I look at my mother at 50, still working full-time, yeah. you know, um, maybe kids are still at home, um, looking after elderly parents, like that is – that's a big job, what yeah. women in their 50s are now doing. So it's not a surprise that they're not easily transitioning through menopause. What this means is it looks like torture. <laughs> it looks like a phase where they gain weight, they don't sleep, they're sweaty all the time, they're having hot flushes, they've got anxiety. Um, it's not nice. There's no. nothing nice about it. And I'm here to say it doesn't need to be that way. But surprise, surprise, it comes down to stress again. So yeah. every single menopausal women, that's the first thing I have to get managed is, okay, we've got to dial in our stresses here because that's what's turning on your symptoms. And I can guarantee you that the months that you feel better are the months that you're less stressed. And when they can make that connection, it's true. It's like not even nine times out of ten, 9.9 times out of ten, that's the scenario. So we need to be, first of all, again, aware of stress and, and acknowledge how much we are doing in our 50s, um, when it comes to movement and exercise, um, definitely these women, they thrive with the right exercise, but we don't need, we definitely don't need to be moving every day. There needs to be, absolutely be a rest day in between. Yeah. The research tells us it's the less cardio, more resistance, resistance. more weight training for as we get older. Um, and I, I think that's where a lot of people are missing the mark. You know, they're yeah. still sitting there running, Doing sweating the on a treadmill when they should mm. not be. They should be going for a gentle walk and saving their, their um, you know, 
not their energy, but saving things for those more intense workouts. Resistance-based, yeah. Correct. And and that's actually far better, far less stressful on the body, helps get our cortisol levels down, helps with recovery, Mm -hmm. um, all those things we are talking about before. So I think we've got it wrong, unfortunately. We've looked at it and gone, okay, here's what works for women. If you do X amount of cardio, X amount of weights, then you'll be right for the rest of your life. It's like, "Mm mm-mm. It changes yeah. and that's where it gets really tricky. And I yep. even have these discussions too. I, I remember going into my trainer and going, okay, less cardio. And he's like, no, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and he was like, but that's not what, you know, that's not the formula. I'm like, well, because you've got to get up with the formula for young, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for old women as they get older because yep. it does change. So it's tricky because it's that's such a, a mind game too. Yeah, I oh mean, we could sit here. I could sit here now and talk for the next thirty minutes about how uh, <laughs> their formula is out of whack. Um, <laughs> I, I think the moral of the story is stress less, right? I mean, also yes, a hundred percent. But also, the minute someone hears stress less, they want to punch you in the face. It's like when <laughs> yeah. someone tells you to relax or calm yeah. down, you're like, and. Like, yeah, good thanks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no, not no going to happen. So I think this is why I like to say to women, can you be aware of when you are stressed? I think mm-hmm. it's a much nicer way of saying <laughs> you've got to calm down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially <laughs> we are really saying you've got to calm down, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to do it in a diplomatic way that yeah. actually you can resonate it with. It never works anyway. It doesn't. It never works. It's like when someone says, oh, you'll get pregnant when you just stop and chill out. I mean... That's definitely a, a place where someone wants to be punching someone else in the face. Yeah. So I think just taking a step back and being an observer and kind of going, oh, you probably are a bit wound up and yeah. you probably don't need to be. And life will get better actually when you do do less. Stress isn't the path to success by any means. Yeah. And you, how can we get you performing better? How can actually you do more to achieve less and, yeah. and have less stress along the way? And not look back one day and think, I just stressed my entire life for absolutely no reason. You know? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not warranted. Love it. <laughs> Nat, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I'll have the links to all of your content and, and where people can find you in the show notes below. But is there anything that you wanted to, to mention before we wrap up? I'm glad you said that because there is one thing that women will be sitting here going, oh, well, how do I know if my hormones are this or the other? You'll put in the, a link to um, a hormone worksheet that you can go and do cool. and it'll help profile your symptoms to work out what your likely imbalance is and then right. that will help you to be curious about what to do next. Yeah, take the next step. Correct. Because, you know, like we've, I think we've pretty much been pretty clear that there isn't a one way to do this. It's about mm-hmm. working out what your body is telling yeah. you. But once you've got those clues, you can then use that to become more curious as yeah. to what you can do next for better hormone health. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I really appreciate awesome. your time. And I think uh, I think a lot of people would have taken a heap of value away from that chat. So thank you very awesome. much. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And for everybody who has tuned in to this episode, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this one, post it up on Instagram story, tag myself, tag Nat. Make sure you check out our content if you've enjoyed today. And we look forward to chatting to you in the next episode.